0: Alright, so we are going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to come before you and worship you together. We thank you that we are able to, to gather and to see one another. I'm thankful for the people who are joining us online this morning God, I'm just thankful that you are uniting us together in, in body and in mind and in spirit. God, what a joy it is to be with the people of God singing praises to your name. Because it is to you alone that we give glory and honor and praise. And so we want to do that during this time as well. Help my words, let my words be faithful. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place, move in our hearts, and bring about change that brings awe and wonder and amazes and bewilders the world and let many people turn to you because of the testimony of our changed lives. Pray this in Jesus' name in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. thought I would uh, start this morning with a little bit of a quiz, a little pop quiz. Okay, ready? It's, it's a group quiz, so I'm not going to call out anybody individual, but I am asking for a response. So I just want to do a quick quiz of uh, um, major Christian holidays. So I'll say the date, you tell me the holiday that it is. Seems simple? Great. Okay, we're on, we're on fire right now, right off the bat. All right, ready? I'll start with December 25th. Chris. Okay, not Yes, Christmas. Most of you got that. Uh, Good job. All right. So now some of them, that isn't easy because it's like it's the same date every year, right? And so sometimes you kind of have to think of the season and try to like figure it out by that way. So this year, another one is April 17th. Easter. Easter, Very good. All right. Now, sometimes we do that even with uh, non-Christian holidays or whatever. We kind of know, get a feel for that or whatever. Um, How about May 8th? Too many mothers answered that one. Um, Not enough... (laughs) Not enough male voices in that answer right there, I'm just going to say. But, but yeah, not too bad, though, not too bad. All right, um, how about let's go back to the, the Christian ones, the big Christian holidays. June 5th, uh-huh, and that's why we are in Acts 2 today, it's Pentecost, and it's interesting. Yeah, well, okay, yes, like two of you got it, congratulations, well, um, I think we can all agree that it was a smaller number even than Mother's Day, all right? So um, here's the thing about that. It's interesting to me, and you're not alone, by the way. When I was thinking about this, I Googled when it was. I kind of knew generically, I knew it would be, you know, weeks after Easter, but like it just doesn't pop into my mind. Like if you knew like, hey, Easter, sometimes late March, like it pops into your head of like, oh, that's Easter's right around there. But if we say Pentecost, like we don't always think about that. We wouldn't think about that June 5th. I don't think anybody has their calendar marked for June 5th this year of like, I've got to be at church on that Sunday. But it's interesting that we don't make that big of a deal of it. I'm not saying that it should replace Christmas or Easter. But it's the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit and dwelling God's people. It's the it's the birth of the church. The Spirit of God, who has moved throughout all time, has come to make his home in the hearts of men and women who have become sons and daughters. That's powerful. I mean, we talk a lot about Christmas, and rightly so, about the God, the universe, who became flesh and walked among us. But Pentecost, we celebrate the God who came and indwelled us and indwells us today. It's a big deal. And Jesus prepared his disciples with saying, this is a big deal, this, this is coming. And he says, he says, like in John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's constantly comforting the disciples with this idea that, no, a helper is coming so that you are able to do what I have started here in you. And he even says that it will be better for them when the Holy Spirit comes, then when he is walking among them. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He promised. They waited. And now the helper has come. You know, in a world that, that believes basically that all spirituality is pretty much the same, that all religions are, are foundationally and basically the same and sometimes people will say like basically all religions teach basically the same thing but just it's the packaging that's kind of different all faiths teach good morals it's, just, it's good to have something bigger than yourself to believe in I think it's really important in that kind of culture to point out where Christianity is decidedly different and makes claims that no one else makes and this is one of those things The Spirit of God dwells in those who believe. Like He, this Holy Spirit, dwells in me to bring about my sanctification and empowers me to do what I could never do in my own strength. It's not just a mindset. It's not just a motivational speaker inside of me, like that voice that people talk about. It's not a conscience. Just, it's, not, it's not just this thing of, of, of not just a oneness with God or, or a, in like a meditative type state, but literally the spirit of God dwelling in me and in you. Working through us to make us who we were created to be and accomplish his mission in the world. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is very central in the Book of Acts, and so we will um, talk about him many times over. And so, I'm not doing like an exhaustive message on the Holy Spirit. I really want today to look at like this passage and what is he actually doing. But I do want to give just a just a few quick basics so that if you if you don't know, like maybe you've never really been taught about the Holy Spirit, maybe it's just something that you you're just like I don't really know what to think about the Holy Spirit. Here are some quick basics. Number one is, he is a he, not an it. Okay? This is important. Notice, like when Jesus talks about him, he says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he is he, not some force that is just kind of this nebulous force or being or whatever he he is a person he is the third member of the trinity meaning he is god right so jesus when he talks about when he talks about giving the great commission he says go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and so he names the Trinity multiple times other places where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. And since he is God, he has always been. Much like Jesus existed long, like for all time, not just at the incarnation, so also the Holy Spirit has existed for all time before Pentecost. Genesis tells us the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit, he is is there at creation, he is there at the baptism of Jesus, he is there at the resurrection and he is on full display at Pentecost. And then finally, he indwells all believers testifying on your behalf and sealing you as as belonging to God. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You think about that. So see how he separates, he's saying the the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So it's not just like, just this kind of like, well, just the spirit of Jesus. Like this is a Holy Spirit. The spirit raised Jesus from the dead. He says, now that same spirit dwells in you. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so there we see the separation. It's not just our inner spirit or just our inner being, our inner thoughts or anything like that. This is the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, who has come to dwell in me. And we are meant to seek him and to listen to him and obey him. We're meant to talk to him and hear from him. There's so much more that we will discover in Acts. Miracles and signs and wonders and power and conviction and comfort. But that's a start for now. So Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I want to do just a like quick sidebar here of how, how they sought him. So I said we were meant to seek him and listen to him and obey him. And the first question I always get when I'm leading, you know, telling people, like discipling them and trying to teach them how to follow Jesus, we talk about listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and the number one question is, how do you know? How do you listen to him? There's so much that we could say on this. But, but what I want to draw is just from this passage in Acts and say, how did they seek him? They sought him in community and in prayer. Like most of our examples and acts of people seeking the Holy Spirit are in community. And this happens, you guys all have experience of this. If you've been a part of the church very long, if you've been following Jesus, you've all had this kind of moment. Often it will happen in sermons. And I'll, I'll preach something from God's word and hopefully, like by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in you says amen. And you may shout it out loud. Or you might say you, you hear a sermon from, from someone that you say, that, that feels like that was made just for me. Like there's something so powerful about that. And, it, and I've said this before, but it's not me. It's not Robbie. It's not Jeff. It's not anybody. It's not any pastor you've ever had or preacher. It's not them. The power that comes from preaching is only through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicting and bringing about change and encouragement and building up. And so we need to import, it's important to learn to discern his voice, but why community plays such an important role in it. Because there are times where, where I've listened to a sermon and I've thought, like the first thought in my head is like, ah, that, that can't be right. You ever felt that way? Listening to a sermon? Ah, that can't be right. I didn't, nobody nobody wants to say that here. Yeah. <laughs> You've told me, I know. And so <laughs> I get it. But this is why, like, th- th- that isn't. Like, when I'm listening to that, <clears throat> that could be the Holy Spirit in me. Or it may not be. It might be my flesh just not wanting it to be true or not wanting what it means if that is true. But how do I know? Well, that's where community plays such a powerful role. What happens when you're, you're surrounded by community who are all seeking the Holy Spirit. Now look, we live in an era today, in a culture where it's very easy to surround ourselves with people who are just listening to the flesh. something that resonates with my flesh, resonates with your flesh, and we start feeding off of each other, and then all of a sudden it becomes a really big deal, and we get really upset, and all up in arms in this thing, and all we have done in community is just feed each other's flesh. But when you're in a group of people who are saying, look, I want to seek the Holy Spirit, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to mess up, and I'm not going to, like my flesh is still coming in here, but together, we're going to do that together and figure that out. Well, that's powerful. When you find people who are listening to the Spirit of God, you will know them by their fruit. we talk about this. They are, uh, they are humble, they are kind, they are gentle, they are loving. They will acknowledge their own sin and strive to follow Jesus more closely. They will not have all the answers. And then we can bounce that off of each other and say, hey, I, I, I heard this or I read this and I'm trying to wrestle with this. Like I'm trying to discern if this is the spirit of God or if this is just like my own flesh coming up. And then a group of people say like, let's pray about that together. And oh, I heard that same thing and, and this is what I heard in that. And now you got like several people all going and, and pursuing the Holy Spirit. And he is good to fall on us. So what do we see him actually do here? As they're seeking him, what do we see him do in this passage? Acts 2, verse 2, he says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And here the Holy Spirit has come to them in power. Mighty rushing wind. Tongues as of fire resting on each one of them. And they all start speaking in different languages. And at this point... We don't quite see the fruit of it yet, but this is the point where we see a major change in the disciples. The Spirit comes upon them empowered, just like Jesus promised, and they are never the same again. Think about it. Up to this point, think about their interactions as Jesus was arrested and crucified. Think about their interactions with Jesus after the resurrection. Up to this point, they've been timid and afraid and doubting and confused. But from this point forward, they are bold and courageous. Up to this point, they are constantly stumbling over themselves and their own ideas about the kingdom of God and constantly uttering things that are just way off base. But from this point forward, They speak with wisdom and discernment and power. And we'll talk about this again many times as we go through Acts, but this is the most common evidence of being filled with the Spirit that we see in Acts. A boldness to persevere and a wisdom and discernment in proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's not the same thing. Like when we think about... Spirit-empowered boldness. It's not the same thing as as worldly, modern-day kind of bravado and arrogance or intimidation or just plain being a jerk. But it is a humble, steady, loving boldness to not waver, to trust in the way of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see it in prisons and at trials and at stonings. We will see it in the face of enemies of the church and in the face of friends who they loved who are being misled. They are no longer at this point and will never be again the same. The spirit filling them changes everything. And it's noticeable to everyone. It's noticeable to everyone. This isn't an intangible thing that everyone just says that they felt. Like, hey, did you have a feeling? I think I had a feeling. They all heard it. It's a mighty rushing wind. Tongues as of fire on their heads. It's pretty obvious something is happening. And not only they heard it, but the people outside heard it. Verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So they, they all heard this and they come to see what is going on. And says so they're bewildered because they start hearing the apostles and the disciples speaking in languages. They're from all over the place and they're hearing in their own language. And so I said the classic response for believers and evidence of the Holy Spirit, for, for those who belong to Jesus, is boldness and an empowerment. Well, here we see the classic response to the Holy Spirit of those who don't know Jesus, who don't yet belong to him. And it is amazement and bewilderment. It says they were bewildered as they heard the language in their own tongues. And in verse 7 it says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We'll see this refrain over and over again, that when the Holy Spirit moves, people are amazed and bewildered. And what's their response to this amazement? And bewilderment? We'll skip down to verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. So what we see here is that that amazement and bewilderment typically produces one of two responses. It will make some people investigate and ask questions and seek and others will mock you notice any similarities with Jesus right don't forget Acts is written by Luke it's a sequel to his gospel and Luke writes when Jesus was 12 and he was in the temple it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And Luke 4 it says, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And Luke 7, it says, those who were at a table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So there's this amazement and this wonderment and this astonishment. So they're asking questions and some sought answers and followed him. And I think Luke is drawing this connection. The response to the teachings and the healings of ministry of Jesus is is amazement. and his awe. It's astonishment. It's bewilderment. And when Jesus amazed people with his healing or bewildered them with his teaching, some did ask questions. Some said, "Who, who is this? You see the disciples, that when they start following him, they often are like, I don't really know what's going on, but I know you are holy. I know you are of God. But others mocked and belittled. we see that all the way to the cross. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if, "If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. They mock or they seek." That continues on today, and continues with the Holy Spirit in acts. They are amazed, they are bewildered, and they are astonished, and some will seek and some will mock. And by the way, this is an interesting turning point again for the disciples. Not only are they now empowered, but they now find themselves as the subject of the mocking. Right? Or the object. I'm not an English major. They're mocked. And up until this point, they could hide behind Jesus. Because up until this point, right, like they're following Jesus and they're kind of associated. And people would look at them and think they were kind of foolish for buying into it. But the mocking... And the vitriol, and everything was saved for Jesus, but now it's them. They are the ones in the crosshairs and in the spotlight. There were moments before where Jesus took the brunt of it, but now it's them, indwelled by the Spirit, and they boldly walk into it. They don't return the mocking with mocking, but with the gospel. And we need to learn that for today. Because the Holy Spirit still amazes and bewilders and perplexes. For those of us who are indwelled by the Spirit, sometimes that takes the form of giving where he gives us an utterance. He gives us words to say that are not from our own minds or our own thinking. Sometimes they form in our hearts. We're thinking like, I, I, that's, that's wisdom beyond me. That's something beyond me. Sometimes it's when he empowers us to live a life that does not look like the world. Forgiving the unforgivable. Loving the unlovable. Showing kindness instead of the the world's poisonous hate. Understanding instead of the world's judgment. Being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Giving generously of our time and our money. And sometimes it will be signs and wonders. Healings. Natural phenomenons, or in this case, tongues. But his power will always amaze, bewilder, and perplex the world. And some will mock. Even if you're completely filled with the Spirit, living a life abiding in the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, some will mock. Some will say, You are foolish, you are idealistic, you are weak. When things happen to you, they'll say, Where is your God now? But others will say, What does this mean? What is this? Why do you live this way? So, Christians, be prepared to be mocked. Do not be surprised, but also be prepared for others to seek and find. to get ahead of ourselves, Robbie will preach on this next week, but many will seek and find, several thousand in fact. It was not due to some great event put on by the apostles or a great sermon. It was because of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that dwells in you and me. And So whenever you share the gospel, think about this, whenever you share the gospel with someone, you are doing so with the same power that Peter had. And 3,000 were saved on Pentecost. And think about what Peter sees here. He sees the Spirit move in power. He sees people respond with questions about, what does this mean? And he gives them an answer as to what all of this means. So, so think about that again. Peter sees the Holy Spirit move in power. He sees people say, What what is this? What's going on? And he finds himself giving an answer. Is it any wonder that later he would write these words? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. It's not theoretical for Peter. This is what he walked. He's saying, don't be afraid. Walk forward. Give an answer for the hope that is in you. And this is how it often looks for us. Even today, the Spirit is on display. People will ask. Some will mock, but some will seek. And they'll say, what does this mean? And he will give us words to explain what they are seeing. Notice that here in, in this passage, he's talking about the life you are living that cannot be explained in worldly ways. Like it doesn't make sense. Suffer for righteousness' sake. In this whole, the whole book, 1 Peter, he's talking about living as exiles and talking about how to live in the midst of a world that does not accept you and that, that does not live the way that, of the kingdom. And so he's talking about you're living in a way thats countercultural, that is counter-cultural, that doesn't make sense to the world. And when they ask you, where do you get this hope from? Where do you get this confidence from? He says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. It is a life empowered by the Spirit that is unexplainable. It doesn't make sense. It amazes, it bewilders, it perplexes. And our job is to be faithful to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Listen, a life driven by morality or values or principles or doctrine is explainable. Because it will come out often in our culture as judgment and superiority, self-centeredness, all things that the world very much understands. In our flesh, we all think that we're smarter and we know better. Just think how you feel about your boss. And when bad things happen to other people, we think like, well, that's probably their own fault. Like, that wouldn't happen to me. The world understands that feeling. The world understands what it's like to say, well, I think I'm right on this and everybody else is wrong. The world understands it. It makes sense to them. It does not amaze them or bewilder them or perplex them. When when a preacher makes millions of dollars and flies around in, in a private jet, the world is not amazed or bewildered or perplexed. It makes perfect sense. Pursuing money just like the, the the corporate CEO. Their business is just religion. When a family lives for the American dream of a, of a nice house and nice toys and plenty of leisure time to enjoy them and plenty of comfort around them, the world is not amazed or perplexed or bewildered. They're living for that dream too. It makes perfect sense. When a person lives for a retirement of wealth and comfort, the world is not amazed or bewildered or perplexed. It makes perfect sense. That's what the world pursues, too. When a person condemns others and mocks others who don't share their beliefs and stands in judgment over them, confronting with harshness in the name of truth, feeling superior, the world is not amazed or bewildered or perplexed. It makes perfect sense. That's just how they function. When a group of people hang out with people who are just like them. Wanting to only hang out with people who are just like me in the same life stage, in the same background because I just feel more comfortable around them. Excluding those who are difficult or hard to love or have lived a hard life. The world is not amazed or perplexed or bewildered. That's what they do. It might we might read the Bible when we do it, but it's no different than the book club or the social gathering down the street. It makes perfect sense. We make decisions on what to do with our time or our money based on what is most convenient and comfortable and beneficial for us in the here and now. It does not amaze or bewilder or perplex. It makes perfect sense. That's how the world operates. But when we stand courageously, in the face of popular opinion, to speak for the one who has no voice. Even if we find ourselves against people that we thought we were with, when we give up all that we have for the spread of the gospel, when we give up our comfort, our money, our status, our safety, When we speak up for the one who is slandered rather than joining in the gossip. When we offer grace to the person when everyone else wants to condemn. When we forgive those that nobody else wants to forgive. When we love those who nobody else wants to love. When we speak well of those who are slandered. When we live with joy rather than grumbling. When we live with humility rather than bravado and pride. When we become family across cultural and socioeconomic divides. When we live for a different kingdom and a different king. And yes, when miracles and signs and wonders happen around and among us, when people are healed and delivered and set free from addiction, that amazes and perplexes and bewilders. That will make some mock. That will make some mock as they don't understand what is happening. And that will make others seek and say, what is this? And it's then... It is then that we give an answer for the hope that is in us. It is then when someone says, how how can you bless your kids going to this dangerous place to share the gospel? How can you give up? Like you've finally gotten to this place where you have all this free time. Why are you giving it in all these ways? Why are you giving all your money to that? And some will mock and say you are foolish. Some will seek and say, what does this mean? That's what happens on this day. The spirit rushes in like a mighty wind and fills them all and they speak in tongues and the people are amazed and bewildered and perplexed and some mock and some seek and thousands are saved. And this is the same spirit we have today. Do you believe it? If you do, then stop living a life that makes sense to the world. And if you've been here long enough, you know that the preparation of the sermon is preaching to my own heart. As I just keep like wanting to press forward and then keep being drawn away by things that would give me comfort. Things that would give me Safety. That is not the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to do things in you and through you that will amaze and perplex and bewilder and then prepare to give an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. If you're here listening to this and you are not a follower of Jesus, the choice is the same for you. You hear these things And if you just allow yourself to go there and say, well, what if that is true? What if that is like everything the Bible claims? If if what the Bible claims is true, then it is truly amazing. And the question is, one option is to mock. What will you do with that? One option is to mock. And that, that can be done quietly or loudly. I've known so many in my life. I've shared the gospel with so many very polite mockers. They don't, they don't want me to feel badly about it. They're not mean people. They don't, they don't mean any disrespect at all. They just quietly to themselves say, that's foolishness. How can somebody, I've had somebody say to me, how can someone so intelligent believe something so foolish? I thought it was gracious of them to call me intelligent. I know that was what some of you were thinking. And that's Okay. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I just want you to know, you know, because if you've been here for long, you know that I love you. And I want, I love you and I love Jesus. And I just, I want you to connect. I want you to experience that. I want you to know that the incredible promises that are in here are true. And if they are, if you just allow yourself to think that, then it will cause amazement and bewilderment and perplexing. And if you ask, what does this mean? And seek, you will find. The door will be open for you. And when you find, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And nothing will ever be the same. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and to fill us memorizing doctrines in our mind is not enough. Yes, we love the truth of your word and we love those doctrines because of what they say about you and how we can know you and love you and we want to know you truly. But we, that will not bring about change in us. It will not give us boldness in the face of mocking and persecution. It will not give us grace It will not give us the the power and the, the courage to repay evil with good, to repay mocking with kindness. That can only come from you, Holy Spirit. So we ask that you would come, that you would fill our hearts. That you would change us. We know, God, that as as we go through this life empowered by the Holy Spirit, we stumble, we fall, our flesh, our own voices get louder. But Holy Spirit, would you just get louder and louder and louder in our hearts? We know you are the steady voice. Give us discernment to hear and to obey, to trust you. And God, I pray when this area looks at the people of this church and people of the other churches, anyone who bears the name Christian, that they would look at their lives with amazement and bewilderment. And they would ask, what does this mean? And I pray that they would be saved. I pray you would do that here. I pray you do that now. pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and was resurrected, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who has chosen to make his home inside the hearts of men and women who are now sons and daughters. Amen.